Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning from Balhelvi Church. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us, uh, wherever you're joining us from across the country. We're going to begin our service this morning in the words of a hymn, a new hymn called Be Still My Soul. Uh, I know there's an old hymn with that tune, but this is a new version uh, on a similar theme by a group called Resound Worship. So Be Still My Soul. Let's worship God together. So full of fear where once was hope. Remember God still loves the world. Be still my soul. Beneath the shadow of each storm. In all the sorrow and despair. Remember God still loves the world. Be still.
all your striving, find his peace. Become a shining light of grace. And show that God still loves the world. Be still, my soul. Let's take a moment to still our hearts and minds as we come before God in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that in these days, when it feels like everything is in flux and nothing is settled, when the future holds so many unanswered questions and the present feels like we are simply treading water, we thank you that we have an anchor to keep us grounded, bedrock to build on. In the midst of all that's going on, you are our rock, our harbour and our home. You are the warmth that penetrates the grey clouds, the music that cuts through the sadness and lifts our spirits, the word that kindles the spark of hope in our souls. And so we are glad to spend this time to be with you and with one another, if that's only virtually. Father, we thank you that even if we feel that life is upside down for us just now, we don't need to unravel the complex tangle of our thoughts, moods and feelings. All we need is to become aware that we are already in your company and our lives are already in your hands. And somehow just knowing that, remembering that, helps us. It may even help us to loosen some of the tangles. Thank you that you are with us as our Divine Father, our incarnate crucified and risen saviour, our spiritual counsellor and companion. And because of that, we know that we are not alone, that we are loved beyond all reason, that this present moment is the one in which you are at work and that the future is already held safely in your keeping. So help our souls to find their peace and to be still, not to pretend away the limitations and concerns of this time or the sadnesses that sit heavily with us, but to entrust them to you, asking for the patience and the strength to see us through these challenging days. Lord, we take a moment now to confess to you the things that we need to confess the ways in which we've been shabby or selfish, faithless or forgetful of others this past week. Hear us as we take a moment to own these things before you and ask not just for forgiveness, but for the resolve to embrace the change of mind and heart that will see us grow more fully into your likeness.
Lord, we confess our sins and we thank you that you love us despite them. For the scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life for humankind. We bless you that in your astounding grace, you have set your love upon us and are working out the redemption for which you fashioned the world. For our place in your plans and in your heart, we thank you. Through Jesus Christ, our friend and our saviour, in whose name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 32, and reading verses 22 to 32, and Elizabeth Mackenzie is going to read for us. Jacob wrestled with God. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wretched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. When the chips are down and your comforts and routine and sense of identity are stripped away by circumstances, who is the real you that remains? And who is the God who visits you in that place? Those are Jacob's questions this morning and living through the times that we're in, chances are they may well be our questions too.
circumstances and choices, not all of them good, have brought Jacob to this time and place, returning home after many years away. He just wants to be back where he belongs, but he's afraid of what's ahead of him because of a long history of bad blood with his brother, his twin brother Esau. This is the last stretch of his journey home and he's sent the caravan with his wives and children and servants and flocks on ahead. But he decides to stay behind and gather himself for what's coming and try to settle his mind and his heart as he sits by the gentle murmur of the river Jabbok. I imagine him in my mind's eye perched on a large boulder overlooking the river as the sun sets and as the evening air cools his skin. Gazing off into the distance with a thousand mile stare as though he might somehow see the future off in the distance. For a man who's shortly going to be given a new name, a name that will come to stand for a whole nation, the name of Israel, Jacob is pretty far from what we expect our spiritual heroes to be. He was born slippy. Jacob emerged from the womb, grabbing his older twin brother Esau by the heel, and that is the literal meaning of his name Jacob, the grasper. And a good part of his life up to this point has been spent grasping and scheming and fighting. Jacob was his mother's blue-eyed boy, but he was always second to his brother Esau in his father's eyes. Esau was the alpha male, the hunter and gatherer, and being the eldest son, the birthright and his father's blessing would come to him. But Esau was also a live-for-the-moment fool. He came in famished from the field one day and he sold his birthright to Jacob with a binding oath, all for the sake of a plate of stew. And Jacob took him up on it. And Jacob learned an important lesson that day. What he can't have by right, he can get through cunning. And in that way, the trajectory was set for many years of his life. A few years later, Jacob's father Isaac was old and blind and on the verge of death. And the time had come to pass on his blessing to Esau. And in the world of their day, a father's blessing was a really important thing. It wasn't just nice words spoken over someone. When a father gave his blessing, it was almost like he was passing on the very essence of his soul to the son that he was laying hands on. And once that final blessing had been given, it could never be revoked, couldn't be taken back. And although that idea might seem strange to us today, we know enough to realise that words spoken deep in love or in anger set things in motion within the, the human heart that can never be reversed. And the chances are you know what happens next in the story, Isaac sends Esau out hunting for game so Esau can prepare him his tasty favourite dish for the last time. And while he's away, 
Jacob and his mother hatch a plan. She covers his arms in goatskin to make him hairy like his brother. She puts Esau's robe on him and she cooks the kind of tasty stew that Isaac was wanting. And she sends Jacob in essentially to steal his brother's blessing. And frail old Isaac is taken in. He blesses Jacob thinking that he's his brother. And Esau comes back to find that his birthright, his blessing, have both been stolen. He's left empty-handed. But it isn't long before those empty hands curl into fists and Jacob has to run for his life, heading far north to stay with his uncle Laban. And you might know that it was on that journey that he had a first encounter with God in a dream at Bethel, where he saw this ladder spanning earth and heaven and angels descending and ascending on it. Jacob's ladder, we call it. But that's a story for another day. Once Jacob arrives with Laban, he falls in love with his daughter, uh, Rachel. And Laban says that he can marry her in return for seven years, labouring for him. But Laban was no slouch in the art of deception himself and he managed to switch his more homely daughter Leah for Rachel, who was beautiful, at the last minute. And I'm guessing that veils or copious amounts of wine must have been involved somewhere in that transaction. But for once, the deceiver, Jacob, was deceived. And he ended up having to work another seven years to marry the woman that he really wanted to. Needless to say... His relationship with his father-in-law wasn't exactly cordial after that and things only got worse when Jacob managed to get his flocks to thrive at the expense of Laban's thanks to some creative animal husbandry. Eventually things got so bad between them that Jacob decided to head back home knowing full well that at some point he would have to face the wrath of his brother. And that's where we find him today. In our reading, right on the cusp of this encounter that he's been dreading for years. Esau is coming out to meet him. And if the rumours are true, he has 400 men with him. And so Jacob sits alone on a rock by the river Jabbok, fearing the worst, fearing for his life and for the lives of his household, all of them at the mercy of this brother whom he's badly wronged. And all his wealth and all his achievements in life mean very little now. He's on his own 
as the man he is and his fate is no longer in his hands. And it's then, according to the story, when he's feeling most alone, that God slams into him and sends him sprawling, triggering this epic scrap that lasts until the dawn calls time on it. So what are we to make of that, this business of wrestling with God? Parts of the story seem mythical. The business of the attacker having to be gone before daybreak sounds a wee bit like the old legends of demons or spooks who can't stand the daylight. What do we make of this killer karate move that sees somebody dislocate someone else's hip with a touch of a finger? And if Jacob's attacker were God, why did God find it so hard to overcome him and get away from him? And why does he never actually say that he is God? Read the text carefully and you'll find that that's the case. It's all very strange. Now maybe it was God in some form. Maybe it was the pre-incarnate Christ who visited him. That's the, the theme that Charles Wesley elaborates on in our closing hymn this morning. He sees Christ in that figure. Or maybe it was Esau himself come to get revenge, sneaking up on his brother by night, perhaps not wanting to be known. And all Jacob's talk of seeing God face to face and wrestling with him, maybe it's to be understood as metaphor. Maybe he knew that he was in a scrap, possibly to the death, and in that sense was facing God. Who knows? And we can't really know for sure. But there's something more important to hold on to from the story anyway than all of that. Like Jacob, sitting on a boulder by the river Jabbok, there are times in our lives when we get to the end of ourselves. No matter how resourceful or wise or cunning or together or able we might be, there come times when we can get no further under our own steam. We are literally at our wit's end. We can't make that relationship work. We can't unravel the mess that life has become. We can't deal with the anger that we feel about what happened. We can't hold things together anymore. We can't fix the problem and it refuses to go away. These times come to all of us, believer and unbeliever alike. And in some ways, those kind of times are harder for people who believe because we believe in a God who's supposed to be good. So where is he? What kind of a God sits back and lets this kind of thing happen? With that question, simmering away within us, we can find ourselves growing resentful with others, with life, maybe even with God himself. And so the wrestling begins. Days, weeks, months, maybe years of it, backwards and forwards, scrabbling to lay hold of some kind of truth in the darkness, to get a foothold in the scree, to catch a clear glimpse of this God that we're struggling with and any meaning that he might care to bring into all of this mess.
is far from easy. But here's the thing that people of faith have found throughout the generations and it's testified to so many times in the scriptures, although it's seen most clearly in today's story. It's the wrestling, that wrestling that brings us the blessing, that brings us a deeper understanding of the God that we worship and the life that we live and that brings us closer to owning our true name. Jacob doesn't stay Jacob after this, remember. He earns his new name of Israel and he earns it by committing to the struggle. I will not let you go unless you bless me, he says. And that's a common theme among the saints. Think how Abraham must have wrestled when God commanded him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Or how Moses must have wrestled with the idea of going back to Egypt to set his people free when that was the last place he wanted to go. Think about how the psalmists wrestled with the seeming unfairness of life and the injustices that they saw all around them. How could that happen in the light of a good God? Or think about how Jesus wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking if redemption could come in any other way than the cross. They all wrestled. But like Jacob, they all hung on. They refused to let go. And spent and exhausted as they were in the struggle, they found a blessing. God provided a ram for Abraham's sacrifice. Moses found the courage to stand before Pharaoh and demand that his people be set free. The psalmists found deeper insights into the nature of the God that they worshipped and Jesus found peace and committed his spirit into the hands of the one who can raise the dead. It's in the wrestling, the holding on, the refusing to let go that we eventually find a blessing. And I think that's a good word for us today. I don't know anyone who isn't wrestling with something during this pandemic. Loneliness, weariness, illness, fear, relational problems. We are grappling with those things every day. And sometimes they're enough to make us wonder where God is and whether he cares at all. But the witness of today's story and the whole witness of scripture is that when we struggle with these things, and where God is in these things, it actually deepens and strengthens our faith. It helps us to grow up. We have a God who meets us in the depths and not just the heights. A God who's real, not only when things are fine and we're feeling blessed, but when things are rubbish and we're feeling spent and we're wondering where it's all going. We have a God who's not content to stay at a safe distance from us and who we only truly get to know when we let him get up close and personal. Wrestling with us as we try to learn how to live in this world and blessing us as we learn from the struggle and mature as friends 
and followers of Christ. And like Jacob, we shouldn't expect to come through those struggles unscathed. No one ever does when they tangle with the harsh realities of life and yet still try to keep the faith. The sun was beginning to push back the night as Jacob gathered himself, dragged himself to his feet and set off in pursuit of his family, including his brother. Limping, as from now on he would always limp, but blessed with a new name and a different identity. Jacob the grasper, had become Israel, the one who grapples with God. Broken in body, but sounder in soul, and more ready to face whatever future God might hold for him. Amen. And Sharon is going to lead us now in our prayers for others. Will you pray with me? O oh Lord our God, you are our refuge and our strength. You are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Over this last year, this pandemic has meant that we are living our lives differently and in many cases in a degree of isolation. Many are living in the fear of catching the virus, or concerned for loved ones, struggling between keeping them safe, but recognising the isolation and sadness this brings. For all too many families, coping with the grief of losing a family member and not being able to be with them at their passing brings its own sadness and sense of loss. Lord, help them take comfort that in their hour of need you are with them and they, like Jacob, will see your face. We ask for your blessing on all those who are lonely, sad and in despair. When we ask for your help, we know you will hear our prayer. When we fail and turn away from you, you do not turn your back on us. When we worry about what is ahead of us, calm our fears with the knowledge that you go before us. We will never be alone because you will always be there. You have promised that you will not fail us and you are faithful to keep all your promises. Take away our fear and replace it with faith in your unending love. Lord, help us to take inspiration from the achievements of Captain Sir Tom Moore, the doctors, nurses, vaccinators, carers and all essential workers who within their work we can see the hand of God. This week, Lord, we pray especially for children and young people who are affected by mental health issues. Sadly, lockdown has increased the stresses they face and can lead to feelings of worthlessness, anxiety, depression and stigma. We pray no child or young person should feel stigmatised or alone because of their mental health. We pray particularly for the world's most vulnerable children who face mental health issues as well as the day-to-day -day battles of poverty, domestic violence and abuse. We ask for your blessing on those who work with children and young people in education, health and social care services, 
but particularly for parents who strive to remain positive for them. Many may never ask for your help, but Father, we know that all children belong to you and you will be there for them. As Lord, you once said, when we decide to follow you, you walk with us all the way. But sometimes during the saddest and most troublesome times of our lives, there was only one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when we are in need, you the, would leave us. God's promise to us is that he will never leave us, never, ever during the struggles we face. When you saw only one set of footprints, that was when God carried us. Lord, we pray for our minister Paul and his family, the congregation. We ask that your hand guides local and national government officials as they seek a way forward through this crisis. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, our friend, guide and our shepherd through the darkness into the light. Amen. We close our service now in the words of our second hymn, which as I said earlier is one of Charles Wesley's. It's called, O Come Thy Traveller Unknown. I need not tell thee who I am, my misery and sin declare. Thyself hast called me by my name, look on thy hands and read it there. But who, I ask thee, who art thou? Tell me thy name and tell me
go in peace to love and to serve the Lord and the blessing of God Almighty the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.